and yet instead he's chosen to use that authority to oppress. And he's not the only one, is he? He stands in a long line of people throughout history who've done likewise, political leaders who've used their authority to oppress rather than to bless. Uh, Not just uh, the area of politics, though. Think about parenting. What an astonishing privilege parents have to have that authority over their children and to bless them and to shape their lives from an early stage. And yet, tragically, we see, don't we, from time to time, that there are those who use their authority as parents to oppress and abuse their children rather than to bless them. What a tragedy that is. We see it with politics, we see it with parenting, and sadly we also see it with pastors, don't we? We might think of uh, prosperity gospel preachers who prey on people's greed or insecurity for their own financial gain. We might think of those uh, who've been involved in horrendous child abuse scandals and things like that, using their position of authority to oppress rather than bless. And sadly, even in the last couple of years, we've seen in the conservative evangelical church in the UK, pastors who've been abusive and have oppressed members of their congregation. And so when we reflect on all this, we might start to wonder, well, maybe the problem is with authority itself. Maybe authority is the problem. Maybe if we could just do away with authority, then we'd be all right. Is that the case? Or are there those who can use their authority to bless rather than oppress? Well, we're going to see about Jesus and the way he uses his authority today as we turn to this passage. Let me just... um, give you a bit of the context if you uh, are are new amongst us or you haven't been around the last few weeks. We're in a series in Mark's Gospel uh, where we've been thinking about the king and his kingdom. And And the story so far, we've seen Jesus preparing for his ministry. Uh, We haven't actually seen him do any ministry yet, but we have seen him preparing. We've seen uh, John the Baptist come and prepare the way for him. We've seen Jesus uh, being baptized by John the Baptist in preparation for his ministry. We've seen Jesus clarifying what his message is going to be. And last week we saw him gathering his disciples to go with him uh, on his mission, on, in his ministry. But what's that going to be like? What's it, what are we going to see? Well, this week we come and we see him engaged in ministry. And if you have a look down at your Bible, if, you, if you've closed it, I'd encourage you to open it up. Uh, Mark chapter 1. And our first verse of our reading is, Uh, verse 21, where we read, they, that is Jesus and his disciples, went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, that is the, the day when God's people gathered to worship him, Jesus went into the synagogue. That is, at the, like the church of the people of God's people of his day. And what is it that he does? What is it the first thing we see him doing in his ministry? Maybe one of the children can have a look. End of verse 21. What is the first thing we see him doing? Thank you. Teaching. This is the first thing he does. He goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath. and He teaches. Uh, but what, are, what, are we, what else do we see about his teaching? How did people respond to it? Well, look down at verse 22. The people were amazed at his teaching. Why? Because he taught them as one who had authority. And it's really interesting, isn't it, that that Mark goes on to note, not as the teachers of the law. I don't know if you've ever noticed that little 
uh, section there before. I, I, I read that a few times and wondered, oh, isn't that interesting? What is, what is the point Mark's trying to make there? In what sense is Jesus teaching authoritative in a way that the teaching of the teachers of the law isn't? I mean, are we supposed to think that the teachers of the law, they're kind of there with their Bibles and they're kind of going, oh, well, oh, kind of says this and some people think it means that and other people think it means this. I'm, I'm not really sure. Well, if you've read the rest of the New Testament, I, I don't think that's the impression that we're meant to get. These guys were pretty certain of what they thought, weren't they? They were pretty clear uh, in teaching what they thought the Scripture says. So I don't think that's the difference in authority. How is it that Jesus teaches with a, a greater and a different authority to the teachers of the law? Well, I think it works a bit like this. Uh, let me tell you about... Uh, actually, put, put your hand up. Has anyone here heard of James Macmillan? Anyone heard the name of James Macmillan? Ah, oh, we have got a couple of people. Okay, maybe, maybe you're thinking of the same James McMillan as me. The James McMillan I'm thinking of uh, is a composer. He's a Scottish... Ah, oh, nods, there we go. How cultured you are. I'd never heard of James McMillan before uh, until my friend uh, George wrote a PhD about him. Okay, so James McMillan is this Scottish composer. George has written a PhD all about the life and the works of James McMillan. And if you had questions about James McMillan, you could do much worse than go and talk to my friend George. He could tell you quite a lot. He could answer a lot of those questions. He would be something of an authority on James McMillan. But here's the thing. James McMillan is still alive. So if you had questions about the life and the works of James McMillan, I mean, you could go to my friend George, but actually, surely you would be better off, wouldn't you, going to the man himself? How much more of an authority is James McMillan than George Parsons on the life and works of James McMillan. Well, let's take that and put it into the situation we're thinking about now. These teachers of the law, they know their Bibles. They know the Word of God. They've studied it. They've thought about it carefully. And their teaching, to some sense, in, in some senses, has a, a great degree of authority. Elsewhere, in uh, the Gospels, Jesus says that he says they're to submit to the teachers of the law because they sit in Moses' seat. So it's not that they lack authority, but it is on a completely different scale to the authority of Jesus. Why? Well, turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Uh, it's quite near the end of the New Testament. If you need to use the table of contents to find it, please do. Hebrews chapter 1. begins like this. I'm sure these will be very familiar words to many of us. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Who is this son? His son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Friends, that is the authority that Jesus has. Yes, the teachers of the law have a degree of authority as experts in the word of God. But when it comes to teaching on the word of God and teaching about God and teaching what it means to be one of God's people, how much more does Jesus have? Because he is 
the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, incarnate, the heir of all things, the one through whom all things were created, the exact representation of God's being. What authority his teaching must have had just by virtue of who he is. So that's the first thing we see. Jesus has unparalleled authority to teach because of who he is, the Son of God, God's chosen King. Uh, But that's not the only authority that we see Jesus exercising in this passage, is it? That's an unfortunate pun. Uh, Exercising rather than exorcising, but you get the point. Um, We see that Jesus has authority over demons as well. Look down at verse 23. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Uh, Now, if you're a a visitor here or uh, Christian things are new to you, you might be reading this and thinking, demons? Really? Well, yes, demons. Really, Uh, as unpopular as it might be in the modern era or the postmodern era or wherever we are now, I I, I lose track, um, to talk about angels and demons, it's worth saying that most people throughout most of the world, throughout most of history, have had no problem believing in a spiritual realm that is just as real as the material realm. In fact, uh, YouGov did a poll uh, in August of this year Uh, where they found that still, even in secular Britain, 50% of people believe that there is a spiritual realm that runs alongside the material realm, and another 11% of people said they just don't know. So there we go. Even in our secular nation, more than half of the people are willing to acknowledge that there is is a, a spiritual realm that runs alongside the material realm. But actually, whatever uh, people around us might think, the Bible is very clear, isn't it? That the spiritual realm is as real as the material realm. That angels and demons are as real as human beings. And the tragic thing that we see time and again in the scriptures is that those demons have the power to cause a great deal of suffering to human beings in this world. But here's the good news of this passage. Jesus has authority over those demons and what authority he has. You see, there are other accounts of exorcisms uh, in the the ancient Near East, in the ancient world, and actually throughout history um, that aren't in the Bible. There are lots of other sources. And it's very interesting when you look at them Uh, Those accounts of exorcisms, there are lots of things that are very common. Often they involve uh, long, elaborate ceremonies, uh, maybe magic spells, incantations. Even in those texts themselves, they recognize that there's a pretty kind of iffy success rate. Well, not with Jesus. Look down at verse 25. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Instantly, he says a word. And this demon has no choice but to obey. Why? Why does the demon do this? 
because of who Jesus is and the authority he has as the Holy One of God. You see, the same Jesus who uses his words of authority in his teaching to bring the kingdom of God in, also uses his words of authority to drive the kingdom of Satan out. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before with this passage. I, I'd looked at this in the past and I thought, huh, isn't this weird how kind of you've got this one passage and, and yet there seem to be two very different things going on. There's Jesus' authority in teaching and Jesus' authority over demons. And how do those things fit together? That's how it fits together. Jesus, by his powerful words of authority, brings God's kingdom in through his teaching and drives the kingdom of Satan out. Those same words of powerful authority. Is it any wonder, friends, that the people responded in the way they did? Look down at verse 27. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Friends, make no mistake. Jesus is a man of immense authority. But I guess we shouldn't be surprised, should we? Because as we've seen over these past few weeks, this man, Jesus, is God's chosen king, bringing in the very kingdom of God. We thought at the beginning, didn't we, about how it can be hard to submit to the authority of those who uh, abuse that authority and use it to oppress people rather than to bless. Well, well, what about Jesus? How does he use this immense authority that he has? To bless or to oppress? I guess to some degree that depends on your perspective, doesn't it? If you're a demon, (laughs) you'd be pretty worried at this point. (laughs) Jesus is in the game of using his authority to oppress the demonic. But not human beings. Look at the way he blesses the people in this passage. Look at the way he blesses this man who has himself been oppressed by this demon. And he uses his authority to liberate him, to free him from that oppression, to bless him. And think about how he uses his authority to teach. You see, it's interesting, isn't it, that we don't hear in uh, this passage specifically what the content of Jesus' teaching is, but actually Mark's already told us what the content of Jesus' teaching is. If you just look back uh, to verses 14 and 15 of uh, Mark chapter 1, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. What did he say? What is the content of his teaching? The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. See, the good news is, friends, that Jesus uses his authority to teach, to bring in God's kingdom, to bring good news. And he doesn't just bring that good news into some kind of morally neutral space, into some kind of spiritual void. You see, we might look at that man who was uh, oppressed by the demon and think, whew, good thing I'm not like him. But actually, for the final uh, cross-reference, would you just turn with me to the book of Colossians and chapter 1? Here, Paul is uh, talking 
about what happens when God saves someone, when he gives someone the ability to turn in repentance and faith to Jesus. We go to Colossians chapter 1 and look at verse 13. Paul says this is what is happening. For he, that is God, has rescued us from where? From the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. You see, whatever we might think, before we become Christians, we're not in some kind of morally neutral space. Paul says when when we come to put our trust in Christ, we are being saved from the dominion of darkness, from the rule, from the kingdom of Satan. That's where we are, even if we don't realize it. And yet through this glorious gospel, brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the glorious Son, whom God loves. That is how Jesus uses his authority. He uses his authority to come down from heaven, from the the comfort and the glory of heaven, to inhabit a body like ours, to suffer, to experience shame and scorn, to hang on a cross and to bear the punishment for our sins and our wrongdoing so that we could be rescued from the dominion of darkness brought into the kingdom of God. That is how Jesus uses his authority. Not to oppress, but to bless. He is just the saviour we need. Imagine, if you will, uh, hopefully this is a very unlikely situation for you, but imagine, if you will, that you found yourself condemned to death in prison on death row somewhere. Imagine you were in that situation and you were given the opportunity to write one letter. Who are you going to write to? Or you might be tempted to write to your mum, if she's still around, uh, because no doubt your mum is going to want to do everything possible to save you, isn't she? The only problem is, it's very unlikely she has the authority and power to do that. So maybe you'd write your letter to the president of the country where you're imprisoned, imploring him for mercy. Well, he's got the authority, but I'm not sure he'd have the inclination help you out in that situation. You're going to be rescued from that terrible situation. What you need is someone who can bring both those things together, the authority and the desire. Well, friends, we are in a far, far more perilous situation than just being on death row, naturally, aren't we? Before we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, we are in danger of an eternity of punishment in hell. We desperately need someone who has both the authority and the inclination to rescue us. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is exactly what we have. What glorious and wonderful news that is. But it is only good news for those who are willing to submit to Jesus' authority. So the invitation Jesus is making to us this evening is, will you submit to my authority? Will you trust me to bless you rather than oppress you? When I was uh, in my late teens and early 20s and I'd first heard the gospel, uh, this was a really pressing question for me because I remember very vividly being sat in my room, reading my Bible, praying, having come to the realization 
that if I was to put my trust in Jesus, yes, he would be my saviour, but he would also have to be my Lord. He would also have to be my king. And I would have to submit every single area of my life to him. And let me tell you, at that moment, as a 19-year-old guy, that didn't necessarily feel very appealing. I liked having authority over the way I lived my life. But in his kindness, at that moment, the Lord revealed to me the truth that actually my life is in much a much better place in submission to his authority than under the authority of my own sinful heart. Have you had that experience? Have you recognized that you need to submit to the authority of Jesus in every area of your life? Friends, that's not just something we do once, is it? Something we do daily. Again and again, we come back and we submit to his authority. And so as we go out into this week, I want to give you uh, three things to think about. Three kind of questions to ask yourself as you're thinking about, am I submitting to the Lord Jesus this week in my life? Three areas of your life that you might want to think about. They all begin with T. Okay, so here's the first one. What about your time? I guess for many of us uh, living in a place like Harpenden, time is our most precious commodity, isn't it? How are we doing when it comes to submitting our time to the authority of Jesus? Here's an interesting diagnostic question you could ask or exercise you could undertake this week. If you've got a smartphone, uh, you could go into the settings and most phones now have a, a digital well-being section. That sounds good, doesn't it? If you open the digital well-being section, it will probably tell you how much time you have spent using each app on your phone in the last 24 hours, in the last week. And let me tell you, if you've not done it before, it can make quite uncomfortable reading. Why not go into your phone this week and have a look and see how you're doing with submitting your time to the Lordship of Jesus? Uh, That's time. What about talents? What about the gifts that God has given you? The abilities he's given you. Are they in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ? Why not go for coffee with a friend this week and say, look, what am I good at? What are the things that you see in my life that are are gifts that God has given me, areas of real blessing? And then think to yourself, how am I using those things for the glory of God? Are those talents, are they in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ? Time, talents, and what about our treasure? Is our treasure in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ? This would be a very un-British thing to do, wouldn't it? But what if you were to go for that coffee with your friend? Why not take a bank statement with you and go, hey, look at my bank, look at my bank statement. Does this tell a story of my treasure in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ? Think of the difference that it might make, friends, if our time and our talents and our treasure were to be fully submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of the glorious things that he might achieve in our lives and through us in the weeks and the months and the years to come. The question I think for each of us this evening is, will we trust him? Will we trust him that when we submit every area of our life to him, he is going to use his authority not to oppress us, but to bless us?
think the scriptures give us good cause to trust him. Let's pray for the Spirit's help to do that, shall we? Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ and the great authority that he has. Thank you that we see in this passage this evening his authority to teach that is unparalleled. The authority of the very Son of God, the Word of God incarnate. Lord, please, would you help us to be zealous to search the Scriptures, to seek out what he would teach us about who you are and about who we should be in relation to you and relation to those that live around us. Lord, please, would you help us by your spirit to submit to his teaching. We pray that that would be true in every area of our lives with regard to our time, with regard to our talents, with regard to our treasure. Lord, please, help us to increasingly submit to you in every area we pray. And Lord, we thank you for the way that we have seen Jesus' authority exercised over uh, the demonic. Thank you that today you continue to build your church and as you have said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Lord, would you keep driving out the kingdom of Satan in this place, through us, as we seek to share the good news of the gospel. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are going to sing of the great truth.